Welcome in to another episode of the Out of Options podcast on the 435 Podcast Network, 610sports.com, the Odyssey app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe and download, as always. If you're enjoying the podcast, please rate it. With new episodes released every Tuesday during the baseball season, and this is the first uh, episode post-All-Star break. So if you're a new listener to the podcast, this is a personality-driven, get-to-know-you podcast about Royals minor leaguers before they make their debut here in Kansas City or wherever they make their professional debut in Major League Baseball. Much less about baseball, much more about people. And on today's episode, we get to know Will Klein, the Royals' number 22 overall prospect on MLB.com, a fifth-round pick by the Royals back in 2020 out of Eastern Illinois, just 23 years old, currently playing in AAA with the Omaha Storm Chasers, and recently competed in the MLB All-Star Week Futures game, touting the best prospects in all of baseball, one from each team, and Will was a representative for the Royals, which we'll get into here in just a moment. MLB.com writes, Klein is much more upside right now because of the lack of results in AA last year, but a healthy season could get him back on track. He profiles best as a two-pitch power reliever with a 100-mile-an-hour arm and good curveball, although there are still some evaluators who want to see him start because of his mix. And the good news for Royals fans is Klein has had a healthy and productive 2023, again, which is why he appeared on the Royals' behalf in the 2023 Futures game a couple Sundays ago during MLB All-Star Week. And if you've listened to this podcast in the past, you know normally we start kind of in the childhood age, but... Because Will just competed in one of the biggest games in the baseball season, I thought that was the place to start and just simply asked him, how cool was that experience? It was one of the coolest things I've gotten to do as a baseball player, uh, for sure. Uh, just like finding out I was going, I was, didn't even know like that was a possibility. Like being a reliever, being in, in AAA, feeling like like it's normally like those younger guys. And Mitch was like, yeah, you're going. I was like, oh, my God. And so that like just so much excitement around it, like building up for – uh, for the game and just like all the festivities around it and everything like that, like just meeting, you know, like kind of the next core of, of guys that are going to be dudes in, in the major leagues, uh, like getting to getting to be around them and like seeing seeing what they do, seeing seeing how they prepare and like how they go about the game too, and then just uh, just hanging out with them uh, and just like they're, they're still they're still just uh, baseball players, but it was I mean it was so cool, they're just like kind of felt like a day in the life of major leaguer uh and it was it was just really special to be there and really special to be nominated by the royals i yeah i can't even say how how cool it was take me behind the scenes because i assume you know you're wrapping it wrapping up the first half of of your season with omaha you're planning on probably going home or a quick vacation or what have you all of a sudden you get this call who's booking the flight to seattle who's packing the bag like how does that come about yeah, there's there's a lot involved. Uh, we were really just gonna you know, chill in Omaha because I have uh, two cats here and my fiance with me, and so we're like, we're just gonna take some time off, relax, you know, kind of just hang out and spend some time together. And then they're like, "Oh, you get to go to Seattle." We're like, "Sweet," because we were gonna go this uh, off season anyways. Because I have old college roommate, and then uh, like one of my friends on the team, Depoto, also lives up there, and so like we're gonna go see those guys. Uh, get to like explore Seattle and see some re- like really cool spots, and then they're like, "Oh, you get to go a whole half a year early," and so we weren't we weren't too mad about that. Um, and so, I mean, I, like kind of getting travel was pretty easy. Like they they got the flight going. Uh, I think it was MLB. I don't really know. 
Um, I just had to figure out how to get myself to the airport at 5 a.m. But early <laughs> flight. It, yeah, it was uh, 9 a.m. out of here. So I had like a nice early Uber to Atlanta because we were in Gwinnett. Uh, so that was like an hour. And so that was an, that was a long day. And then the time change and all that. But I'd say it was, it was worth it. Got to spend a day in Seattle before the game. Then had all the festivities, had the game, and then got to spend another day there after. But uh, everything went pretty smoothly, uh, and like travel and all that wise. But it was it was just so cool. I know it's it it happened four or five days ago at the time that we're recording this podcast. But have you had a chance to like look back and think, kid from Bloomington, Indiana, who played at Eastern Illinois, who got drafted in the fifth round, and is now a part of the futures game with, you know. As you said, the futures game is guys who are big bonus, you know, money, first round, top 10 prospects in MLB.com. Is that like something you've been able to reflect on, even though we're only a couple days past it? Yeah, it was. Uh, that's one of the main things I took away after. It's like you see these guys and they're all, yeah, top 10 guys, a lot of top 100 guys, uh, big money. And then you just kind of watch them play a game. You're like, oh, yeah, I mean, these are just like the guys I'm facing now. Like they're, they have probably a higher ceiling than a lot of guys out there, but it's still like they're just they're just baseball players. So like I'm a pitcher because I can get them out. They're a hitter because they can hit me. Like there's going to be ebbs and flows, but it's like they're still just still just baseball players. So it kind of helps humanize like the guys you see on on uh, all those lists and stuff. And so that was that was one thing that kind of helped me. Uh, and just like yeah, they're, the pitchers they're just normal pitchers. Everyone's got good stuff, but uh. We were, we were all there for a reason, so it wasn't like they were that much better. Even though the the game didn't really go as as I would have hoped it would, but it's it was just a game, and it was a cool experience to to be around all those those uh, I, big guys. I could care less about the outing. I'm really more interested <laughs> in the Pokemon cleats. <laughs> Tell me about the yeah. Pokemon cleats. Yeah, so I mean, I, obviously as a kid, everyone played Pokemon, uh, and I grew up like really loving it. And then you get to high school, it's like, oh, you're too cool for Pokemon now. And then you get to, to college and like you're playing ball focused on school and stuff. And then you get your signing bonus. It's like, oh man, what do I like? I like, and it's like, oh, I, I actually do like enjoy like collecting those cards and stuff. And so I uh, got back into collecting it uh, the past couple of years. And so I thought what's something unique I could, could put on my cleats for, for on such a big stage and that like people or that it just kind of represented like what I like outside of baseball. And so I got together with the the stadium custom kicks people, uh, Alex Katz, uh, and I forget the guy that does all the designs and stuff, but they have a, a base up in Seattle. They put it together, and I really couldn't have been happier with how they came out. Well, let's go back to kind of your childhood a little bit. You grew up in Bloomington, Indiana. Is everybody there an Indiana basketball, Indiana football fan? Uh, Yeah, Indiana basketball is probably the biggest thing Indiana has. Indiana football had – it's one year and then it has not had very many years. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you're walking around. Everyone's a basketball fan. Like there's, there's not many people there that aren't Indiana basketball fans. And then that goes for about an hour outside really until you hit like Notre Dame, Purdue t- territory. Uh, but everyone, like you grew up, you lived any part of your life there. Like you got to go to a game. You're, you're pretty much a fan. It's just a huge environment. And so everyone grew up like being basketball. So baseball really wasn't like at the forefront uh, but it was, yeah, I mean, even if you aren't a basketball fan, you're an Indiana basketball fan. Growing up, you know, you're you're close to Indianapolis. You're kind of close to St. Louis, Nashville, Cincinnati, Chicago. You're you're kind of around a bunch of major cities. Who are your favorite 
professional teams growing up? Who who was on the TV in your household when you were when you were growing up? It was always uh, always the Cubs because my grandpa was from Chicago. My dad was born in Illinois, uh, close to Chicago, and so it's always always been the Cubs up until about 2020. <laughs> but yeah, and then it was pretty much them. Uh, went to a lot of Indianapolis Indians games too. Uh, then beat the AAA for for the Pirates, so that was that was cool. Um, Colts are there, Pacers are there, so there really wasn't much else to reach out for. But I'd say the Cubs was probably what we watched the most growing up. Did you have a guy on those Cubs teams that you looked up to? You're probably a little bit young for like the Sammy Sosa Cubs, but was it a a Kerry Wood, a Mark Pryor? Who who were those Cubs players that you always admired? Uh, I was a big Alfonso Soriano guy. I loved loved his era there, um, and so and Giovanni Soto back when I used to be a catcher. Yeah, I mean Kerry Wood, obviously, but those were like the two guys I liked the most. Uh, Ramos Ramirez, shoot, and then uh, we were close enough to the Reds where I liked uh, watching Chapman too when he was uh, like coming up with them. So those were like my big guys growing up. Coming full circle now, you're you know I guess he was recently traded, but you're. You probably were around him in spring training this year. Is that kind of surreal to you that you grew up watching a role as Chapman as one of the most dominant closers in baseball with the Reds, and now you're sharing the same field and the same uniform as him? Yeah, it was it was definitely uh, exciting when I saw he signed with us. Uh, it didn't really come full circle until I was playing catch to him next to uh, playing catch next to him one day. I was like, oh my god, like this is sick. I'm gonna have to tell my dad about this. Uh, but he's one of like the largest humans you'll ever see. That's what everybody says. Like, he is like he's massive. Like his, I know he's older now, but he's jacked too. Like I don't know how he does it, but it's it's pretty impressive. Uh, the shape with how large he is. Uh, I mean, no wonder he throws so hard, but it's impressive. Do you remember where you were when the Cubs beat the Indians in Game Seven of the World Series? Yeah, in my uh, dad's basement, watching it with him uh, and my grandpa. Was, and yeah, definitely remember that. Okay, so like I grew up an Atlanta Braves fan, so mm-hmm. they won one World Series in 1995. I was probably nine years old, and I cried. I mean, like a lot of young kids do when mm-hmm. their teams win. I, I probably still cry when my teams win nowadays. <laughs> did did you cry? Like, did you celebrate? Did your dad let you stay up and watch that game? <laughs> tell me tell me the story of that night. I didn't cry, but I think both my dad and grandpa did. Uh, I was, I mean, it was really cool. Like. Cubs fans went through a lot of lot of stuff, uh, and they had been Cubs fans like their whole life, and so they hadn't. I mean, I can't imagine spending sixty years, seventy years of fan of a team and not seeing really any success. And so they uh, they were definitely emotional, uh, and I mean, obviously, I was like really excited, uh, but it was it was definitely a cool moment growing up a Cubs fan, seeing them finally like with that core guys like Bryant, Rizzo, uh, Baez, like it was cool, and then. They just kind of disappeared. So if the Pacers or the Colts and whatever other teams you rooted for, you're just not you're not a crier if they're going to win the championship. No, uh, not really. I'd be okay. really excited if if the Colts ever won one because they haven't done that in 18 years. But it's not looking like that's coming anytime soon. You're not a believer in Anthony Richardson. Yeah, I think he's a stud. But oh, I loved Andrew Luck. I was so sad that he retired. I saw they were talking about having to put him in the Hall of Fame. Uh, there was some conversation about that, whether that's a Pro Football Hall of Fame or the Colts Hall of Fame in the past 10 days or so. Might as well. He did a lot for the organization. 
you got to be careful. Andrew Luck's name here in Kansas City after the 2014 wild card, uh, 38 <laughs> to 10 comeback. comeback. You got to be got to be very careful in these parts. <laughs> talking about that game. Yeah, fair enough. Were you mostly baseball growing up in high school? Did you play other sports, or was it always baseball? Uh, I played football in middle school, and then I got a couple concussions, and I was like, mm, maybe shouldn't play football anymore. And uh, so I was baseball throughout all of high school. I paid. I played like some rec sports at the Y. Like I played indoor soccer and uh, like pick up basketball with friends and just random random sports you play with your buddies. Um, but like team wise, it was just baseball all four years. Was mom part of the no more football discussion after the concussions, or you were just like, all right, I, this is not worth it? I think everybody was kind of in agreement there uh, after after a handful of them. Yeah, I can imagine. So. Tell me about the recruiting process. You ended up going to Eastern Illinois. Who else was recruiting you and what led you to that decision? Well, at that time, it was, it was really just them. Like, I kind of started it myself. Uh, like I emailed a bunch of, put together a list of schools, like ranging from like NAIA D2 and some smaller D1s. So, I, mean, I was a catcher primarily in high school up until like junior-ish, senior year when I, when I started really getting off the mound more. And so... I knew I wanted to uh, wanted to pitch in college, but my mom insisted I stay trying to catch a little bit longer, just uh, be it for the team or whether she liked me catching or whatever. But so I didn't really pitch a whole lot until the end of my my high school career, and so I kind of had to put myself out there and like try to contact teams, and then went to some showcases, uh, played for the Bulls travel team, and uh, Eastern Illinois saw me at I think it was a showcase my junior year. Junior, uh, junior fall or senior fall or something, uh, and so they reached out and I went on a visit. Came back home or came, like, went on a visit. They gave me an offer. Came back home. I was like, really liked it. Like I knew I'd have money to com- cover everything. So I was like, you can't really pass that up. Two hours away from home, uh, and so I kind of made a pretty quick decision. But there really weren't any other other teams talking to me at that point. I found out later that from a Beamer who now is at Ball State they were going to contact me in like a week or two. I was like, well, should have done it earlier, but I'm, I'm happy with where I ended up. I can only look it up on paper. Obviously, I was just kind of going through your career at Eastern Illinois. And, you know, first two years, you, you pitched fine. And again, I, just, I can only go based off of stats. But then just kind of reading your bio and what's written about you on MLB.com, you went to the Northwoods League after your sophomore season and was just incredible that that that's, that summer was there something that clicked in between sophomore year to that summer then to obviously your junior year was shut down due to COVID, but was there something that changed that kind of put you on the map to put yourself into position to be drafted? Uh, I mean, I, I kind of started throwing harder that sophomore year. Like I hit, I hit an eight uh, and one out, like one relief appearance that year. And so I kind of like just started trying to throw as hard as I could, like through the hitters. And it's like, if they're, not going to prove that they can hit it. I might as well keep trying to do it. And so I just had a couple of good outings and the confidence really shot through the roof. Like if you thrown well and you know, you're thrown well, it's a lot easier to keep throwing well. Uh, and so kind of just let that compile onto itself. Uh, and I knew I had a shorter summer just because Anderson wanted me to, to shut it down a little early, uh, not like go the whole summer. So I knew I could just like blow it out for a little bit. And I feel like it went pretty well. And I mean, through more strikes that summer too. So that, that always helps. But uh, when like guys aren't showing you that they can hit it, it's really easy to just keep trying to throw it through them. Uh, but obviously like I, I went to the, uh, 
the Northwoods all-star game and I knew I had like two thirds of an inning. So I was like, I'm just going to try to throw as hard as I could. And I think that's the first time I actually got to hit a hundred. And so that definitely, definitely helped. But, uh, just showing like I can be a dominant force, like the later innings, uh, kind of helped my, my confidence there. And that definitely kept going through the rest of college. Can you describe to people what it's like to be able to throw a hundred miles per hour? Cause there's just not a lot of people on the planet that can do that. I mean, it feels, feels really good to know that's in your back pocket. Like if you ever get angry, you're like, not a lot of people can hit it. And so it's, it's fun to be able to, to throw it in there. And obviously like you gotta, people can hit fastballs and, and stuff like that, but it's a lot harder to hit it the faster it gets. And so just knowing they have to be on time, hitters have to be on time for that helps, helps other stuff. And it just gives you a little confidence boost. It's also cool seeing the, the three numbers. Tell me if I'm wrong, but like, is that the summer when scouts start kind of talking to you about the future or did that, that start your freshman and sophomore year? Uh, I mean, I really didn't, I don't recall any scouts like freshman and sophomore year. Uh, yeah, I'd say it's that summer, like throwing well through strikes. Um, had like agents reach out to me too. That's kind of when it all like, came, came into the big picture. I was like, Oh man, like I might, might have a chance because my first two years weren't very good. And so had those guys. And then I think that fall, like I started getting calls, started having meetings uh, like of junior year. And so that was when I was like, Oh man, let's do it. Uh, I didn't know it'd be a five round draft at the time. I was like, Oh, I'm going to be drafted. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's kind of when that all started. After completing your sophomore year, and you, you know, you kind of just said that you were you know pitching. Okay. Could you ever imagine? And I want to get to draft day in a second, but could you ever, were you even thinking that the MLB draft was a possibility after your sophomore year? I was hoping it was. Like, that was the whole plan. Like, I just, I really wanted to go to college for three years and, like, go play professional baseball. And I was hoping, like, I was working towards it. Like, I knew I had the potential to do it. I just had failed to kind of tap into it. And after, I mean, they weren't very good years at all. Uh, so I was really hoping and I really needed that, that summer. And, I kicked it into the gear that I needed to, and and then I kind of saw it coming coming my way. Yeah, so I mean that Northwoods Summer League, you're then the number one prospect in the OVC uh, going into your junior season. I think you pitched in four games before COVID shut the season down. There was always that throw up in the air whether there was even going to be an MLB draft. But take us to that that draft day, and you were drafted on on day two. Walk me through day one for you, and then walk me through day two and conversations and what was going through your mind. Day one was a lot easier than day two because I, I mean, I was pretty confident that I wasn't gonna gonna get a call that day, and so it was just cool watching it, like seeing what was gonna go down, seeing the guys got that got drafted uh, that I played against that year uh, or years before, and so that was like really nice and relaxed. Didn't have any stress. And then day two was just a wreck. Like I was so nervous. It was five rounds, and like I didn't really know for certain that I would be in the in the top five rounds. And so I was just like nervous wreck, like shaking the whole day, obviously, and until my agent called me. But there wasn't a whole lot of communication just because of like it being COVID, knowing knowing who would go back, how much money they needed, how much money the teams had, and so there was a lot of like stuff up in the air that was like kind of figuring out on the fly. Uh, but then agent told me, Hey, the rules are going to call you. I was like, Oh my God, now I can kind of enjoy, enjoy the day. Uh, but it was just a huge relief. Like, um, family was there with me. Everyone's just got so excited. 
uh, and it was just a blast. Was it like what you see during the NFL draft where, you know, the everybody's on the couch, you get the call, goes over TV, everybody's like jumping around? What, what Describe the scene to me. Yeah, it was uh, fiance, m- mom, dad, brother, sister, and just a bunch of uh, family members there as well. Uh, and so I got a text from my agent, like, hey, the Royals are going to call you. Uh, and my dad was all, like checking the MLB draft tracker to see if he could see my name before I knew I was getting drafted, which was kind of funny because I was like, I'm going to know. Like, you see the videos of all the people getting drafted or like when they switch over, it's like they already knew. They were just waiting for it to come off and like doing a reaction, which is kind of funny. But it's like, you already know. And so when I got the call, everyone's like, oh, my God, oh, my God. Came back down and then that's that's kind of or went into another room and came back down and then that's kind of when we when we celebrated there uh, and it was just I mean it was just a blast to be able to enjoy the night after that. And you mentioned some of the money went to to Pokemon, but did you have a when that first check cleared? Did you have a a new car, a new set of golf clubs, anything like that? I had a new car and a new set of golf clubs. Um, I mean, it wasn't like a brand new car. Like I got a. I think it was a 2018 Hyundai Tucson, like something I could drive for a while. And then I got a new set of Titleist. Uh, I forget what they are, but just, a, yeah, just a new set of clubs and a new golf or uh, yeah, a new car. That was really like the big ones. Did you go right to Arizona after, after being drafted or what was, what was the next kind of couple months like? So, yeah, we didn't really start pro ball for a while. Like we had, we went to Kansas city, like when everything was kind of cleared not cleared, but like when you were somewhat allowed to uh, and did like introduction to everybody, like welcome to the organization, like signing day, uh, like when stuff was kind of clear. But uh, it took us a while to get to Arizona. Like we got there maybe August, late August, mid early September, I don't remember. Uh, but it went through like early November. Uh, but it was like a three month or two and a half month like instructs where you're like in the hotel COVID tests every day, temperature every day when you wake up, masks everywhere. You have to wear the gaiters around your around your face. Uh, just like a really long extended spring training. Uh, but that was like our first taste of pro ball. But it took it took a while to get there. We didn't know if there was going to be anything available. But uh, we yeah, it took took a couple months. Now it's twenty twenty one. You're showing up to your first professional spring training. Did you have a welcome to pro ball moment? You know, you're on the mound and you know that Salvi hits one four seventy to left or you're you're doing you know playing against another franchise and had like a moment or you see someone who you walked at first base like anything along those lines did you have a welcome to pro ball moment yeah i don't i think it was in spring training when we had like our co-op teams or it might have been spring training or maybe it was the the 2020 stuff but facing uh j-rod and kelnick back to back i got like I got a nice like swing on a curveball from Jay Rod. I'm like, all right, I'm gonna throw him another one. Throw him the same pitch and he hammers it for a double. I'm like, oh my god. Like these guys are actual hitters. Like it's not just like college guys anymore going up there swinging. Like you kinda gotta do a little more. Um that was that was certainly cool getting to face those guys. I would assume J Rod and Kelnick are not guys that you're gonna see in the OVC on a weekend. No, I wouldn't imagine so. I'd hope not. Oh my yeah. god. <laughs> You went on to have a really great 2021 campaign, and, and I'll paraphrase kind of MLB.com is, you know, you you were on the fast track to the major leagues after, you know, three years in college and 121 Ks and 70 plus innings. Then 2022, you kind of mentioned you had that oblique injury. Um, just talk about kind of the frustration that was 2022 and 
was there a moment when that oblique injury happened or was it over the course of a number of months? Came into 2022 feeling really good after 21. Had a really good spring train. Like I was working on being a starter. Like everything was going well. Like punching the house, not walking guys. Like felt really, really good on the mound. And then, so to start the year was my shin. I had like really bad shin splints to the point where it was a couple degree degrees away from like just breaking. And so they're like, all right, let's shut you down. And that was like three days before spring training broke. And I was like, oh my God. That was, that was just, and mentally I was like, no, I can't, I can't stay here much longer because uh, Arizona, it, it's getting hot. Wanted to go out, play like actual baseball, but they're like, you gotta, like, you can't risk doing anything worse. And I was like, okay. So I was in a boot for a little bit. Like just, I started throwing with a boot on like, and so when I got out of the boot, I was not used to like using my legs. And so that kind of made me like overcompensate with my arms. And so that led to some issues down the road when I was overcompensating with my arms, didn't know how to use my legs, kind of led to some wackiness that led to a couple of bad outings that led to confidence going down, uh, that led to getting sent back to the bullpen. And so a lot of like just bad stuff to start the year and just kind of threw me into like a dark hole of like not feeling good mentally, physically. Uh, and so I, I kind of like figured out for a week and then it'd go back like two bad weeks and then, out for a week and then two bad weeks. It just felt like I was all over the place. And then I had like a couple decent weeks and they're like, you're going to the fall league. Like I was, I needed a couple more innings just because of how late I started the year. I was like, all right, like kind of get my season back on track here. Like let's kick into another gear. Let's get going. And then I tore my oblique like two weeks left in the season. I was like, oh my God. And so I didn't get to go to that. I got to spend another month and a half in Arizona rehabbing that and so they kind of put the the cherry on top of last year, just mentally, physically, like just, I mean, it was just not a good year at all uh, to, to be Wilcorn. Was the oblique tear, I'm sure it was a, a buildup, but was there, were you throwing a pitch when it tore? Was it, was it like a singular moment? Yeah, we were playing Wichita and it was, we they had a rain delay. And they were in the playoff hunt, and so they needed to finish all the games because we were winning. Uh, and they're like, "Oh, you're throwing!" Like I was going to be the pitcher after that. I was like, "Okay, cool." Warmed up, everything felt good. And then my first hitter, like the last pitch of my first hitter, I felt something like a sharp pain in my side. It's like, "Ooh, that's not good." So I finished the inning. Uh, didn't give up any runs. Went inside, like tried to roll it out. I was like, "Maybe it's a knot." Went back out there for the second inning, and I was throwing like eighty-eight, ninety. I was like, "Oh, maybe something's wrong." And so I didn't make it through that inning. I got pulled halfway through that. And then I kind of like waited around like the next week and a half until the season or next, oh, this is a Sunday game. So the next week went and got an MRI. They're like, yeah, it's like grade two strain. I was like, oh, this is like a six to eight week or eight to 12, six to eight, eight to 12. It was some, it was like a longer rehab. I was like, oh no, you get to come back to Arizona. It's like, but uh, yeah, tried to get out of Arizona fun. like three times in one calendar year, and you kept finding yourself back there. I know world record for most appearances in rehab. No, it feels like, and you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but especially when it comes to baseball, because it's such a timing sport. Like, if you're not healthy to start, it just feels like you're you're treading water and trying to get back to neutral for an entire baseball season. Is that is that somewhat right? Yeah, I mean that's that's pretty accurate because like. 
you get in a groove in spring training, you try to carry that groove until like you're, I mean, you try to carry that throughout the whole year, really. Like you hit the ground running. And so like starting and stopping and starting and stopping and like trying to find out how to get into your groove again, uh, like in the middle of the season when other guys are already in it is, is definitely a tough spot to be. Just quickly going back to the last two spring trainings, because this is a staple on this podcast. Uh, I ask everybody, have you met Zach Ranky? And do you have a Zach <laughs> Ranky story? I haven't personally met him, but I have. Oh, no, no, no. I got to uh, play play with him. Or I was backing up a game of spring training that he was starting. And he he came into the clubhouse. This was on the road uh, at the Diamondback spring training spot, I think. And so we're on the road in the road clubhouse. And like we're kind of sitting there like some of the guys backing up. Eaton's sitting right there. He's playing third base today. Granky walks in. He goes, Nate, I'm going to work on my pickoffs at third today. And we're kind of sitting there like, what? He's like, yeah, you were a pitch comm, right? Like, I'm a signal pickoff, uh, and I'm going to work on pickoffs at third. And we're all just sit, kind of sitting there, they're like thinking he's joking. And like, there's like, no way he's working on his pickoffs at third. And he was completely serious. I think he picked off the third like three or four times that day. And I was just like, this guy is an enigma. Like, there's no one else like him. And I mean, it cracked me up because he might have had like 15 plus pickoffs that game. I think. So Samad Taylor was a guest earlier in one of the mm-hmm. earlier episodes. I think Samad was playing second base and he told the story. Like, I guess, you know, if you had three pickoffs and you don't get them, it's, it's basically a balk. And Granky was like totally fine with it being a balk. Cause he threw to second base three times in a row and then threw to third, three times in a row. So that must've been yep. the same game. Had to have been. I remember like, it wasn't like his best start, but we were all kind of like, it seems like he wants guys on, like he wanted to put guys on to work on his pickoffs because it was just because it was Granky. Like who knows why he did it, but it was, that was pretty funny. And I've, I've heard other things, but just getting, yeah, getting one to experience for myself, just kind of make some a little more special. Have you ever been starstruck, whether it's in the facility or playing against another organization? Has there been ever that moment? Uh, I mean, not really. Like I don't think you can really afford to be starstruck in baseball when you're like trying to play against those guys. But it was cool, like, seeing Granky on, like, one of the big yoga balls, like, kind of just sitting there while I was warming up to to go throw. Because we share a weight room in spring training, and he was just kind of laying on a medicine ball or, like, yoga ball. And I was like, oh, that's that Granky. So it's 2023. You started in Northwest Arkansas in AA. You're now in, in Omaha and, again, was just part of the Futures game, which is an incredible honor. Do you allow yourself to think about the next phone call is the ultimate dream or – does that kind of mess with the head and you just have to live in the moment and, and when it comes, it's it's great? Like you dream of it, but you can't think about it, you know? Like you, the second you start focusing on how you're going to pitch there or like getting there, you're like you lose focus of how you pitch in Omaha. And so that's one thing I like really tried to focus on in Northwest is because I, I felt like I was going to get the call soon. Like I, I was really hoping it, but like you can only pitch where you're at. And so I wasn't trying to pitch like I was in Omaha, I was trying to pitch in Northwest. And then you do that for long enough, you go to Omaha. You pitch like pitch well in Omaha for long enough, you go to Kansas City. But like you can't be anticipating or waiting on it because then you're just going to be frustrating. Like if you think you deserve it already, or like if you believe it should, yeah, if you believe it should have happened already and you've had good outings, then you're like, why am I not there yet? It's like there are reasons, and you can't do anything about it except just just keep pitching. So I try to try to cut that part out and just keep going. All right. Well, we end each episode, something called on the bus. It's rapid fire, random questions on and off the field <laughs> to get to know you a little bit better. 
my first question is probably going to start a little bit of a beef, but I, I kind of went through your, your Twitter profile and you retweet a lot of Chelsea football club stuff. So I see, the, I a, see the leads. Yeah. Are you a oh, Chelsea, Chelsea fan? Man. Oh yeah. I don't like Chelsea leads. Everybody from Leeds doesn't like Chelsea. So that's, I mean, that's understandable. Not a what, lot of Chelsea people like Chelsea right now either. What, what led you to be a Chelsea fan? Uh, I, so my dad's a Chelsea fan. And I think it stemmed from his brother, Tom. Uh, he does a lot. They go to England a lot. And so he was a Chelsea fan. Like they have a dog named Chelsea. And so I think that, I think that kind of spread throughout the family. And so I've been a Chelsea fan for my whole life. And, but I haven't really watched soccer up until like later high school, but I try to I try to catch every game, even if it's at 5 30 AM uh, in Arizona during spring training. Yeah. They do have some early games. Leeds isn't Leeds isn't good enough to get the prime slot, so we are we're always on at six a.m. Central Time. So, um, have oh, you ever yeah. gotten to go to see a game over there? No, but that is uh, step one of or like like a big plan of mine trying to get over there to to watch a game and just get to see another country. Uh, and my fiance's on board because with that just to be sick. Yeah, I really really want to go over there and get to watch one. It's on my bucket list. Me and uh, my college buddies, we all turned 40 in a couple years. So one's an Arsenal fan, one's an Everton mm. fan, one's a Le- I'm obviously <laughs> a Leeds fan. Hopefully we're back up in the Premier League by then, but I think that's uh, we're trying to plan a 40th birthday trip uh, over there to catch a number of games over the course of a week. Yeah, but so you should be able to get a week where they all kind of play each other, I feel like. Will you watch any of the Women's World Cup coming up the next month? Oh, yeah, I'm excited. Uh Obviously, like U.S. Women's National Team, but I like watching uh, Australia too for Sam Kerr and all those girls. Chelsea women's team. So you just mentioned your fiance, uh, who I think is with you today. But mm-hmm. you got engaged this off season. Give us the yep. story. How'd you propose? <laughs> uh, we went to we went to dinner uh, at a nice Italian place, like within like five minutes walking distance of our house, and we're kind of like in a good Italian spot in St. Louis. And so we've gone there before, but we went there like trying to play it off with like a nonchalant evening. Like there's a nice little gelato spot that we always go to that's got a cool little courtyard or like a fountain, like nice little area around it. And so I was like, oh, let's go get gelato after. Oh, hold on. Let's stop at this really cool, inconspicuous um, courtyard and sit down for a second. Oh, hey, you want to like take pictures? I'm going to set my phone up and record so we can take some pictures. And then uh, I proposed and got it all on camera. But she had no idea. But I was shaking the whole time. I was so nervous. It's one of the nerve, most nerve-wracking things anybody can do. I don't care if you're making your major league debut or not. It's got to be up there in the most nerve-wracking moments of someone's life. Yeah, even if you know they're going to say yes, you, you never know. So scale of 1 to 10, what was her surprise level? 10 being the most surprised. How surprised were you? Pretty surprised? So surprised. So is wedding planning started? Yeah, so she's in law school. So we're going to wait until... So she's done with that to, to get a nice little therapy going. Walk me through your beard grooming process. <laughs> uh, I used to have like a, a beard shampoo and conditioner and oil, but now I'm just kind of letting it grow. And I have a nice little, I have a leave-in conditioner that I use to make it shiny and, and not as crazy and try to like keep it not too unruly, but unruly enough that lets you know I'm still a baseball player, you know? Is it a daily thing? Yeah, uh, I try to like wash it and use a conditioner almost every day just so it doesn't get too crazy and trim it up every once in a while. 
What was the go-to crushable beer at Eastern Illinois? You don't have to tell me if you drank it, but what was the go-to crushable beer? Uh, I mean, obviously like Natter Days, I think uh, back in the day, just so cheap and easily drinkable. Uh, wasn't my, I didn't, I don't really like beer, um, but I definitely saw those. And the Pink Lemonade ones were, were pretty good too. What's your walkout out, out song? Oh, it's Do You Want to Taste It by Wigwam. Okay. Story? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so me and uh, Depoto got really into watching Peacemaker, John Cena's like DC superhero show, uh, and that's the theme song, and it's got like the weirdest ever dance intro that you like. You need to look it up after this. I really recommend watching it and the show. But uh, John Cena just like does this whole dance routine with like other characters from the show, and it's just hilarious. And so like I think it'd be funny if I used it, and I like, kept using it this year, and then it went well. I was like, I kind of have to keep it, and so. That's just kind of how it's how it's stuck there. Okay. Did uh, Northwest Arkansas or currently with Omaha have like a kangaroo court or any any box stuff? Yep. Have Northwest you been fined? Did. I've been fined. I've also fined people. You know, it's it's a fun time. What were some of the fines that you incurred? Oh, I don't know. I don't know if I can say those. Okay. All rated R. <laughs> there, there are some that are questionable. Um, but I know, like, like you wear the wrong hat for long enough, you get fined, stuff like that. I have Chamberlain wore his wore the wrong hat all the way up until he had to go into the game one time, and no one even noticed until then. But he got he got fined for that. Just just stuff like that, you know, nothing too bad. Chandler was on last week's episode, and he said he walked into Quad Cities right after he got traded wearing a Yankees polo. And so he got bo- <laughs> he he got boxed within five minutes of being within the clubhouse. Oh, absolutely, yeah. That should be that should be up there. He knows better than that. So, walk me through like the process. Is there one person in charge? Is it like a a Supreme Court where there are a number of judges? How do, how does it work? Uh, I feel like there's like normally like three. Like you have like try to have one pitcher, one position player, and then a Latin guy, obviously because you have. Everyone has to have their own representation. And then there's uh, an accountant that keeps track of fines and stuff. And you read each one, you know, you plead guilty. Or if you plead not guilty, you have to defend your case. And then whoever accused you gets to defend their case. And then the judge decides. And then you either pay your fine or you don't. And is this happening in the middle of the locker room or on the bus? Middle of the locker room. Normally, like, before a game or something, whenever. There's been long enough for, like, the fines to accrue. And there's a good amount of funny stuff in there. All right, what's a household chore that you cannot stand doing? I don't like scooping the litter box. My fiance takes care of that one. I do I do trash and she does litter box, so it's a good balance. Okay. Do you cook at all? Yeah, I cook a lot. Uh more so when we're like in the off season and at home and not eating meals at the at the field and all that. But yeah, I like to cook. What's your go to dish to cook? If you had you know, you're gonna have in laws here soon enough, what would be the the dish that you would cook to impress them. Oh, I don't know if I have any impressive dishes. It's more like chicken, rice, and and veggies, but probably just like a nice steak. Or we do a lot of like uh, Greek bowls with your like chicken, uh, tzatziki, like cucumbers, uh, pitas, and all that, and uh, that's pretty good. So maybe that. Do you have a cheat meal that you go to, like a uh, Taco well, Bell or something? <laughs> uh, Freddy's. Love Freddy's custard, so probably that. All right, a couple more. What app on your phone do you waste the most time on? 
Uh, probably Twitter or TikTok. I, I mean, I know that sounds bad, but there's just so many funny videos on there. You're probably more of a scroller on Twitter, though, than a poster. Yeah, there's not much posting you can do as, uh, as a professional athlete, like with people knowing who you are. So, yeah, I just I scroll and I try to like baseball and like soccer stuff. Now that you're in AAA, you guys are flying a little bit more, but throughout your, your minor league career, are you able to sleep on the bus? Yeah, in spurts. Uh, luckily, like didn't ever have any too bad, but we drove to Corpus from Northwest last year, which was 14 hours. And so I think I slept from 2 to 5 a.m. when we got there or 2 to 6 a.m. So you try to stay up as long as possible and then you sleep and then you sleep when you get there. But we never really got any sleeper buses, so it's it's hard to kind of get it going in those seats. All right, final one. You get to pick any hitter in the history of Major League Baseball and you get to strike them out tomorrow. <laughs> Which hitter are you picking? I get to strike them out or yep. I do strike them out. Okay, like they're just standing there like, hey, strike me out. Yep. That's a tough one. Yadier Molina. Really? Grew up a Cub, grew up a Cubs fan, you know, never never really a fan of the Cardinals, and I think it'd be funny to strike him out because I got a buddy that's a really big Cardinals fan, and so I'm going to be like, suck it. So it's more out of spite than like, because some of the guys that I've asked this question to are like Mike Trout or Ken Griffey Jr. This is more I'm out of spite pick, towards one of your buddies. Yeah, I mean, why would I pick a guy that I could go and strike out right now? Like I, I can end up facing Trout in this year or next year or three or four years or 10 years. Cause he's going to play forever, but Yachty's done. So I think like he's too old to hit right now. So strike him out. Just, I guess one last question while I'm thinking about it because you brought up Mike Trout, you're all professional baseball players. Do you guys talk about Shohei Otani like just differently? Yeah. I mean, he's just special, like more so like pitching because of how bad like you feel after like a start. Like your body doesn't feel good, like, and you, that's why you get five days to make another one. But it's like he does that, and then he goes and hits at an MVP level, and we're just like, how, like, how do you have all the time to be the best at both, and still like keep going? Like he's gonna play for a long time. Like doesn't really seem like he's slowing down. It's just, it's just insane uh, what he's doing. Will, I really appreciate the time. Keep, keep up all the success. Congrats, congrats on the futures game and. Um, hopefully we see you here in Kansas city by the end of the year. Really, really looking forward to it and appreciate you taking the time today. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for having me. A big thank you to Will for taking some time out of his summer vacation. Obviously, if you're listening to this, Omaha has picked back up, but at the time of the recording, uh, it was during his summer vacation. Um, so really appreciate Will taking that time, uh, out of his busy day and, and much needed downtime before the second half of the season. And, Certainly one of those guys that you could see up at Coffin Stadium or wherever the Royals are playing at the time of his call-up um, before this season is over. Klein certainly on the fast track to be in that Royals bullpen and will be very fun to see him in Royal Blue throwing 100 miles an hour from the right side. So best of luck to him the rest of the way, the rest of this season. And again, thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Out of Options podcast on the 435 Podcast Network, 610sports.com, the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you so much for listening. Another episode next Tuesday. Um, looking forward to that conversation as well. Different level of uh, pro ball than, than Will Klein, but that's what's really fun about this podcast and getting to talk to these guys as they, uh, they continue to chase their dreams to making it to the big league. So thank you again for listening. New episode next Tuesday. Remember to subscribe, download, and rate the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. 
But thank you, and I will talk to you next Tuesday.